We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's a True Faith podcast. I'm Norman Reilly, joined by Alex and Simon, live and direct from Australia, where I'm uh, sure the... Fantastic cricket produced by England helped obviously alleviate the, the misery of Newcastle slipping into the bottom three for the first time since since August. How's it going, lads? Hello, Norman. Uh, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's not it's not going the best, but you know what? There's there's hope. It's actually pissing it down here um, in Perth. We thought we're, you know we're sold the idea that we'll come to this really warm country with great weather. It hasn't quite turned out that way. Um, but uh, I, you know, tomorrow's another day. We're not beaten until we're beating the cricket, and uh, I'm still hopeful of getting a draw of this game. That's I admire, I admire your optimism, mate, and that's you know what that's that's the approach to take to your football club as well. I reckon. Um, <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll we'll get straight into it then. So, Sai, I'm gonna I'm gonna ask ask you a question, mate. Um, the so trying to analyse yesterday's performance, I found it a bit difficult because it, it was it was a really um, a really flat game, and and then I started thinking that you know what that was. That maybe isn't a bad thing because to me it kind of looked like we'd um, we'd got back to that that, that went went back to basics, you know, done the, uh, the the kind of pragmatic functional football that that we did so well with up until up, up until and including the Palace match. Um, I mean, you know, g- given given the kind of paucity of, the, of skill in the squad, um, that to me is, is the best approach. I mean, did, did did you see that yesterday? And would you would you agree it's kind of the way that we have to operate going forward? Absolutely, I thought we should have gone back to it sooner. The 4 2 3 one the only thing that's really worked this season. The lads know what they're doing in it. Rafa knows what he's telling people are doing it. Um, and to be honest, it's the only one points this season, really. So I was, I was pleased. I was pleased to see the, the lineup. We've got the cells back in as well, which makes a big difference in the whole setup because he, he leads them through it. But um, absolutely, back to basics. It's you know what, you know what, we're nearly, we're nearly got something out of this game, and we'll, we'll always. You know, we've, we've taken a few beatings recently when we tried to mix it up and tried to up front and left ourselves exposed. We're in every game when we play this formation with, with what we've got. So, absolutely, I think this is just this is what we're going to have to accept until we're, until something changes. Yeah, I, I agree, Alex. Would you um would you want to wish to comment on that? Yes, yeah, for me, it's going to be really interesting how this how we'll go from here. So, whatever happens with the takeover, what happens with Rafa Benitez, or whatever happens with with the rest of the season. This spell between Bournemouth and uh, Everton of four four two of more of a more open, less defensively minded side will be judged very harshly, in my opinion. And um, I'm sure one of the journalists will ask Rafa 
why he felt the need in that run of what seven games to do what he did. It didn't work, and let, you know, let's not point fingers. I mean, he's the bloke that paid a lot of money, but we we were sat here on the podcast delighted he was getting Gale in the side along with Hosloo. We were delighted we were going to start having a go at teams. I remember being in the pub before Bournemouth, I think when the Trent in Newcastle, which seems like a lifetime ago now, buzzing that we were doing it. So it's not a case of, oh, you know, um, you know what's Rafa doing, what's he playing at, blah, 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 because the vast majority of the support, not everybody, but the vast majority of the support was delighted with that change. So I just think it's going to be really interesting to see what happens from here. Obviously, we'll have a massive game against West Ham. And you know what? I think we might talk about it a little bit later. But I, I, I like it. I like the fact that Newcastle United are involved in massive games in the kind of moribund years under Pardew and Carver, where nothing seemed to matter until Carver fucked up beyond anyone thought was possible. We didn't have any games like this, any games to look forward to. All we had were the derbies against the Dyer Sutherland, who needed the points more than us, more often than not. So I'm really looking forward to this massive game. but this kind of return to 4-2-3-1, the return of Iose Perez in a defensive sense, which I know doesn't sound very familiar, but everyone knows what I'm talking about. It's probably going to be the story of the season uh, from a tactical perspective, barring any miracles in terms of a takeover or significant investment in January. Absolutely bang on, mate. That's, uh, I, kind of, uh, I kind of really add that because I, because I, disagree, uh, because I completely agree. Um, we'll shift on, shift on at the goal. So um, I was stood right behind right behind the goal more or less in the in the fifth row so I got an incredible angle of it and um you know up until that point I mean I, you know that that football that we, we we've gone back to it it'd been it'd been working we'd limited them to a load of the ball as we had done earlier in the season with the opposition that had a couple of half chances um <clears throat> good run from Maitland Niles one past the post but nothing nothing overly con- concerning um and then the goal even even then a brilliant connection from Ozil. Don't get us wrong. I mean, he's you know he's connecting with the ball perfectly. Um, but we had opportunity. To me, it looked like we had opportunities to clear. Yedlin won. Yedlin won ahead of when the ball was pumped in. Didn't get enough on it. Um, Lejeune then went and won it. The second ball, and it was the third ball. And Ozil was just he was in the air as a space, and he connected perfectly. As I said, and it just flew in the middle of the goal. And I've watched it a couple of times since, and it's almost one of those where I think again. Rather than it being down to the brilliance of the opposition, it was down to kind of uh, maybe you could say a, a mistake from us. I don't know. I don't know if um, you would agree with that, Alex. I think it's I think it's dangerous, Norman, there to, to, to read too much into that one part of the game because yes, we could say that we could do better defensively. I mean, most most goals that you concede, you could do better defensively on. Why Rob Elliott's positioning is is terrible. I, I've no idea what he's doing, but you know. Was, was was his position any worse than Carl Dollar's error against Everton? No. So Elliot's going to stay in goal um, on the back of that. Um, yes, Lejeune could he could he had it better, but it, it, it's hardly um, you know it, it's hardly some of the the errors we've seen um, so far. So I, I don't want to call it an error too much. I also think that you know it, listen, I'm I'm positive and I, I quite liked what I saw yesterday, particularly second half in terms of what we could do to Arsenal and how with the cells back, we do look far more defensively solid. However, Arsenal missed chances, and Arsenal did, did, did what Arsenal do very well, of getting themselves in positions that really should have resulted in a goal or a key chance and managing to, to make you know brilliant chances look like half chances. And they're, they're finishing, particularly from Lagazette against Rob Elliott. I mean, that was almost like playing on Perivo 2006, where you'd love the keeper at every opportunity. Um, it was an, an absolute piss-take of a finish. 
Yeah. So, you know, while well, we can look at that one goal and think, you know what, we could do better. There were loads of other situations where we could have done better as well, but Arsenal didn't punish it. Yeah. The fact is, you give a £50 million footballer on £300,000 a week, that kind of time and space in the box to pick a spot, even though he's hit it in the middle of the goal where the goalkeeper could have been standing. You know, it, it's one of those things. Um, I, I don't want to crucify the lads too much on the goal. Personally, I'd probably play Kieran Clark alongside Jamal Lasalle from what we've seen recently. Uh, I don't know whether you agree, Si. Yeah, look, I mean, I think it's it's now time to admit, and I think Norman's partly called on this as well, we got a bit carried away after the Spurs game. <laughs> no! <laughs> he, he was absolutely incredible for that 20 minutes against Spurs, and, and what he did to Harry Kane, he embarrassed him until he got so frustrated he had to kill him. Until he was taken um, but from what I've seen of him recently is, is is a player who looks absolutely short of confidence. He doesn't seem to he doesn't seem to know what he's doing anymore. He doesn't seem to be able to work well with his. He's played with Clark. He's played with Lascelles. He's played with Mbemba. He's in a back three with Mbemba as well. And he just there's no coordination there. And I don't know if that's he just needs a bit more time to settle. I'm not writing him off, but I totally agree. I think we know what getting from Lascelles and Clark. They're comfortable with each other and they've just got a much better record. Just to contradict myself there and disagree with Sai, it's it's like I, I agree broadly with, with what Sai's saying, but I don't think Lejeune had a bad game yesterday. No. All of Newcastle's flaws. I don't know what I'm trying to say is oh, 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 am I thinking about too much or rearranging the deck test and track from the Titanic here? Is bringing in Kieran Clark for Florian Lejeune really going to change anything? Maybe. And that's why I'd probably do it. And that's why I agree with what Sai says in terms of confidence. I think Lejeune gives us, I know people might laugh at this, but he does give us an outlet in terms of being able to pass a long ball. He is quite good at finding players on the flanks when there's a bit of room. Where maybe Then I get up, I don't know, where, maybe Kieran Clark can do that anyway, but it's a difficult one, but to bring it back to what you asked all about the goal, could we have done better? Probably. Um, we could have done better in a few defensive situations um, against Arsenal away with the team they've got and blah, 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 all that kind of stuff in terms of money. Uh, one of the defeats disappointing. But there were definite positives to be taken. I don't know. I don't know what you felt from the way, mate. Were were you kind of walking out of there, there dispirited, but kind of thinking, well, you know, there's something to take in the West Ham next week. Um, well, I wasn't. Um, definitely wasn't dispirited. In fact, if anything, um, I walked out of there more positive than after the the Leicester game at home, uh, where we scored two goals and won a goal up. You know, and, equal, and equalised. I mean, uh, I, I thought Lejeune was fine yesterday. I mean, I think the whole back four did really well yesterday. Um, Yedlin. I, I thought Yedlin had a really good game, which was good to see because he's been he's been a bit off the boil lately. Um, <clears throat> and I walked away just again. You, you have to you have to put it in, you have to put it in perspective. Um, you know, this is Arsenal away. It's a team that have had nothing but success for twenty odd years. I was walking up to uh, up to the stadium and I got cracking on with an Arsenal fan. I mean, this is a bloke, and he's I would say he was in his sixties. So you think like he's not going to be you know a deluded kind of. Uh, Younger, younger fan who's known nothing, nothing but success, and the success they've got at the moment isn't enough. He, he basically said, "Oh, absolutely sick of Wenger," and I just said, to "I'm like, well, well, but if you bring a new manager in, what is it? What is it you actually expect? Given, given Man City and and Chelsea and Man United's money, and he kind of couldn't answer it. Um, and because the reality is, Arsenal are they're a good side. Some of the players are they've got world class players in there, and we we were competitive against them." Now, it might sound like I'm clutching at straws by saying, oh, we were competitive, let's, you know, let's go and have a party. But the reality is, to be competitive with Arsenal and to be in the game with the last 10 minutes was a positive. And due to the fact that we went back to, back to basics, I, I, was, I was really, really pleased in lots of ways. I, I enjoyed kind of the, the tactical side of the game. Um, I didn't enjoy the, the sideways rain and the fact that I had like four pints before the match and I just needed the toilet for like 90 minutes. Didn't enjoy that. 
But uh, I, I, I walked away. I walked away in it. In West Ham have hit some good form lately, don't get me wrong. I mean, like yesterday, they, they destroyed a Stoke side who, who, if they don't get rid of Hughes, are going to really struggle. Um, but I'm feeling, I'm, feeling, I'm feeling positive. I think there was, a, there was almost like a return of belief yesterday, especially the last 10 minutes. You could see, like, um, like you mentioned, Perez's defensive performance, and he, and he did well. So, so I feeling, feeling positive, feeling, feeling a lot more positive than I was before the match, put it that way. Um, so there you go. And uh, I can I can ask a question to you, uh, you lads. Um, Sai, for you, mate. Richie, Richie, when he came on yesterday, I thought he I thought he had a really good impact on the game. Um, I was kind of was I surprised to see him bench maybe because um, I think he had a good opening sort of forty five minutes against Everton as well. Um, what what do you what do you make of him being put on the bench yesterday? Do you think it was down to a, a kind of form thing or or tactics, or do you think he's kind of saving him for West Ham? I know what you're getting at. Richie's Richie's been our best player under Rafa, arguably. He's he's, he's class, but he's played every minute this season now. Sorry, Gail. Sorry. Hmm? Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, it's always, I think Jacob Murphy's been improving their game on game, and I, I, he would have been hard pressed to, to leave him on the side. Atu's had a bit of a break, so he's come back in. I think it was just time to give Richie a rest. Yeah. If there's ever a time, Arsenal away. I think by half time, Atu was having a bit of a stinker. And what um, me and Alex and some of the lads here watching it noticed was that we're actually getting quite a few corners and set pieces. And if we're going to nick something, you need Richie on the pitch for, for set pieces. So he's, he's brought him on quite early. He made the change in about 50 minutes, City, which is yeah, unlike, wow. unlike Rafa. Um, so absolutely, I was a bit surprised not the same in the team, but I can kind of understand. He just he, uh, The reason we bought Jacob Murphy wasn't to, to come in as one of the wingers that starts the game, but he, it was to stop him from having the whole season where we just had two wingers. And he's gradually kind of found a way where you can you can accept him in the start lineup now, and it's taken a while. And I'm glad now we've got a choice of three wingers to choose from each week, rather than just having Atsu and Richie who start the season very strongly but burn themselves out very quickly. Uh, can I just come in and, and give you an alternative potential reason? We're just guessing here. Well, <coughs> yeah, Dunn had a really good game yesterday. He kept Alexis San- Sanchez very, 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 very quiet. Um, and I think I don't know, but I wasn't at the game, I only watched on TV. I think maybe that Yedlin Richie right hand partnership in a defensive sense just hasn't been working, has it? No. Yeah. Yedlin's been getting a lot of stick from me in particular. Um, but I think that maybe Rafa thought, you know what, it's time to, 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 to mix that up a little bit, bring Richie on later on in the game if we're still in the game and we're still in the game. And, and, and you know what, we, we didn't give um, Bellerin. Sanchez very much at all. I think Bellerin got in behind once in the first half and ballooned over the bar. So may not have just been all about Matt Ritchie, but also may uh, may have been a tactical uh, switch based on the threat Arsenal had down their left hand side. Yep, yep, and I agree. I mean, I, I think I mentioned it a second ago. I thought I thought Yedlin was excellent yesterday, and that's that's one of the best games he's had. I would say, I would say this season. Certainly, it's the first match that I've I've watched him and thought I've I've thought, oh yeah, Yedlin's having a belting game. Yeah, like he was a uh, he was really good, and it's excellent to see. And uh, yeah, there might be something, something in what you said there. Um, just throw this one out out the both of you. Um, any anyone else in the side stand out for you particularly? I mean, like stand out. You thought, you know, what well, he, he played, he played well. Possible uh, for me. Agreed. I thought he was superb. Um, he won everything in the air, everything. And you know what was kind of frustrating the second half. I mean. It's easy for us to say watching on telly and it's in the stands as fans. It's like I felt you may feel like screaming at some of the other lads like Perez or um, Diarmi when he came on maybe or, or Marino. Like get beyond them, 
he's going to win the, the header. We're chasing the game, particularly from the 80th minute onwards. He's going to win the header. He was winning headers that were bouncing in the box in great positions. Dwight Gale's making the obvious run. It's not going to him. Someone else is going to take a chance from the wing there, even Matt Ritchie, um, and get in and think he's going to win this header. Let's let's get on. And it was kind of it was too much. It was too much ball watching from too many players. I thought Arsenal was really good in that sense. Um, I thought that Isaac Hayden had a good game. I criticised recently. Really poor booking to give away right at half time. Very frustrating. And I know Newcastle fans weren't happy about the um, referee not being particularly fair, but. Jack Wilshire was going back towards his own goal. Uh, you know, Hayden had already committed two or three or four fouls. Just a little bit of naivety from him, but I thought he was really, really good. Um, so, is there anyone else before I just run through the team? No, I don't think anyone else stood out. I mean, I thought Mankiw had a very good game. I thought both fullbacks were excellent, actually. Um, other than that, everyone else was, was a bit average, I'd say. As a team, we performed much better than we have done in recent weeks, but yeah, no, no other standout performance. Mankiw was good. I just criticised Marino a little bit. Yeah. No. I thought you had a good. <laughs> um, you just co- you just cover your ears for this bit, Norman, right? Um, basically, I thought. Listen, I thought he did well in terms of winning possession. So brilliant, well done, mate. Particularly against Wilshire, he won the ball really good. And I'm only criticising, only saying he could do better here because he can't do better. There were a few times in the second half when he was he, he did brilliantly, and then it was too much, and it was balls with the offside of the foot. And it was balls through and balls over the top that were never going to be reached by Bosselli or Perez when Hayden was on with the easy pass or when Matt Ritchie was on with the easy pass. And it's just like that performance yesterday from everything we've talked about was us. It just felt like us, didn't it? It felt like not just the us of this season, but the but the us of last season in terms of being compact, keeping clean sheets, being hard to break down, not giving away many chances. And we'll also add in some quality to the other end. Now that's the big problem we've got at the minute, that quality at the, at the other end. But that just felt like Newcastle United and Rafa Benitez. Marino's on-the-ball activity in the second half particularly was a little bit removed from that in terms of not playing it simple and not find, you know, maybe picking the wrong option or, or trying a Hollywood pass. And listening, I thought we had a, a decent game overall. I thought Hayden and Marino were far better in there than they were against Leicester at home. Yeah. So fair play to both for that. But I, just, I would just like to see a little bit more game intelligence and game management from Marino. I think, personally, I think he was taken off for that reason for Diarmi. I I agree, absolutely agree, and um, I w- I'd like to just uh, say something about Hosselu as well. Um, he, he gets he gets plenty of grief, so when he when he plays well, I think he you know he deserves the praise, and um, he he did. He, you're right, he he won absolutely everything. Um, not even in the air, he was putting tackles in on the ground. His his movement was good. Um, he just he just had a really good game, and you know what? Fair play to him. Um, it it was it was it was a, a good performance, and I'm, and I really hope that it gives him a bit of a bit of confidence going into West Ham. Um, so, yeah. lads. Norman. Yes. Norman, can I ask you something? Yes. What was the what was the what was the awareness like? Because I've seen some comments on social media which uh, aren't too clever. It was. I mean, I don't like. I, I don't know if I can say anything negative in terms of like people being dickheads in general. Um, I didn't pick up on that. It was just really flat. Now, I suppose you could look at it in one way, and that that stadium's really big in the design of it. Like that, it's just it's just so quiet. I mean. Quiet to the point where you can hear foot hit the ball, you can hear players shout at each other. Um, Arsenal saying that there was fifty nine and a half thousand there yesterday. I mean that is absolute horseshite. There was so many, um, so many spare seats, and it was just a really. I was flat. I mean, obviously again, I think I, I mentioned this um, uh, again after the Leicester match. You've got 
you've got a team that hasn't particular hasn't done much. We have nine games, yeah. We have we have more than nine games. So confidence is fragile and um as well it was freezing and the rain was like kind of going sideways in your face. That might have impacted on it, but I didn't I I was just flat. Um and one positive I will say is that two fans around us who I obviously don't know, they were they were they were negative, they were really they were really um really positive and that was that was it that was a good thing. Um I don't know what what you what you've been reading about the atmosphere? No, well, it was very hard to hear on TV, uh, particularly on foreign TV. That's because there was no. That's because that's because there was no to hear me. I think. Yeah, it was just it was just because I've seen some stuff on social media saying that fans were maybe a little bit getting a bit frustrated with TV. But you know what? Social media may not be representative. That could be total bullshit. So I thought I'd ask someone who was there. It was. It was. I would say the atmosphere was muted. That's what I'd say. You know, it's one of those. Yeah. It's one of those sometimes where like. You might hear a song starting and then you'll join in and three other people will join in and then by the end of it it's just you kind of fading off into the distance. Right. You know, United by the end of it and you're like you start to get a bit self conscious, you're like, it's just my voice now, isn't it? But um there you go. It's uh, just it's just what just one of those days in terms of in terms of the atmosphere, I think. Um question for question for you then, lads. Um actually I'm gonna make a point first. The the point I wanna make is again, we're going on social media here, so like percentages wise who knows it's probably next to nothing but the comparisons with Burnley um, I've, I've read this a few times now people saying well you know if Burnley can do it why can't we and I'm going to have to say like Burnley came up on a dash a few seasons back and they got relegated straight away and then they went back up and then they had a season of like consolidation slash survival last year and now now they're kind of reaping, reaping the benefits of that of that stability and that investment um, so I think that the I don't think there's a comparison to be made with Burnley at all. I don't know how you two um, you two see that. Um, it's a it's a it's a really moot point, Norman. It's a, it's like almost a waste of time. So we'll talk about it. <laughs> but um, yeah, you can compare yourself to other clubs. You can compare yourself to your contemporaries and say, should we be doing as well as this club? Is that club? Is this? You know, blah blah blah. Um, Burnley spent 15 million quid on a striker. In the summer, Chris Wood, who would be in a, a great addition to Newcastle's team. Um, we bought Hosselu, who was Stoke City's fourth choice striker, um, and who, who's doing what is for what he what he is doing for us. Um, you could run through the team and say who cost this and this, and you know what? Fair play to Sean Dyson Burnley; they've done a good job. Um, if you if you if you if anyone's listening to this, is getting annoyed about Burnley or Sean Dyson or the league table. Um, if you get annoyed at Burnley, Mike Ashley's winning. Keith Bishop's winning because they want you to think about Burnley because they want you to think about Sean Dyche doing things in the shoestring because that's how they want you know that's how they want you to think that they want you to, they want to deflect away from their own failures deflect away from their own deceit and for you to concentrate and think well how is this one very specific example of success not being replicated in this football club when the, the real answer is why is this very specific example of success not being replicated is because of infrastructure is because of support and planning at boardroom level is because of long-term planning is because of a transfer strategy that works etc and a youth policy that bears fruit uh, and, all, and all these things and it's just it's, you know there aren't any easy answers to this and if, if, if there is anyone out there saying these kind of things then Mike Ashley is, is winning this battle in this war and more fool you if, if that if that's something and this I'm, I'm you know what I've said it before I'm quite in a lot of detail, you know, after the Leicester City podcast. Um, oh, why, why are we in a relegation battle? Because of Mike Ashley. But we haven't lost 
or fail to win in eight games because of Mike Ashley. The players have made mistakes. The managers made mistakes. 100%, in my opinion. We should have taken points in those games. In my opinion, we were the better team in that run than you know Bournemouth, a game of two halves. But you could say, could, could we and should we have won against Bournemouth? Maybe. There's three points left out there. Uh, West Brom, we should have won the game. There's another two left out there. We're on five points now. Leicester and Everton, we could have won both of those games. So there's six, so there's 11 points there. Then I think that team and that collective unit were good enough to take from those games based on the performances that I saw. So it's not just a, you know, we, we can't analyse anything, you can't criticise because actually, but actually is, the, you know, whatever, however we'll go into it, once you start digging down, he is the root cause of the problem. The football club needs, the football club needs so the fact that it's not being so every single day is a little bit more blood being drawn from our survival campaign. Every single day is a day wasted by Mike Ashley. And every single day we need to get angry and angry. But, you know, there's not a lot we can do as fans um, apart from continue to back the team in the strongest possible way. But this certainly, this Burnley comparison is, is laughable. I mean, if you want to take it the other way, look at look at the club yesterday who won their first home game in, in a year. Um, Sunderland to, I don't know whether they're still in their Division 2 relegation places. Probably, probably not. I don't know. But, that's also the other flip side of the story. If you want to look at Burnley, why not look at Sunderland? Oh, I'll tell you what, Sunderland being all over rivals are maybe a little bit more biased and they're maybe a little bit um, glee in my voice that they're celebrating so much after you know getting out of the Division 2 relegation places with a squad and a budget for outstripping their rivals in that league. Um, why not look at um, Norwich City, one of the relegation zone in the Championship? Why not look at Aston Villa, who despite spending money Rafa Benitez would absolutely... If Rafa Benitez had Villa's budget, would be would be fucking league champions by now. <laughs> in the Premier League, we had a Man City, um, Middlesbrough. You know, look at Middlesbrough, but particularly look at the two clubs we went down with, Norwich and Villa. And if you want to look at Burnley, I'd say those two are, are of a more realistic approach. Both of those two clubs, by the way, have far more investment than Newcastle. So for every Burnley, everyone said Burnley. I'd say look at those two. That's where that's where we should be. We should be a Sunderland. We should be a. Um, a Norwich or a, a, a Vile and we're not because of one man and one man alone and if, if people can't say that then more fool them sorry that's a very detailed last one I think I've given so like, yeah. <laughs> yeah I couldn't say that better myself absolutely right um, it's, it's getting a bit boring isn't it because everyone's obviously getting angry at the results and you, just your natural in- instinct is you need someone to blame and Mike Ashley's very good at just disappearing and trying to <clears throat> leaving, leaving the rest out to dry until it blows over, so we must remember that as we as we go forward. Aye, I am. Um, well, another thing as well. I think I, I don't know if I don't know if it's been underestimated, but and I know you know like football as a professional, as a manager, or other professionals. But if you're in a company or a business or whatever, a sporting institution where there's like this this kind of uncertainty, you know, like oh, oh we're going to be taken over, oh the takeover's not happening, oh the takeover's happening, oh it's not happening. There's just this constant uncertainty. And, and that must have it must have an effect on the on the playing staff and on the man, managing staff. I mean, to a certain extent, it's almost like I they can be as professional as possible, but sometimes they must feel like they're doing a, whether they're whether they're coming or going. Um, do you think do you think that that must impact on it, right? Normally, it's 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 way easier than that. It's look at January. The manager doesn't know how much money he's got to spend. Right. The manager doesn't know when you get when you'll get the money. The people people are missing this point. They're talking about the amount of money bollocks to that it's it's when we, we should be getting our deals done and Rafa want those deals done the first four or five days of January mm-hmm. he doesn't get this money until the 18th of January whatever the speculation is when this premier payment hits 
and we're doing business the last week of January, we've got three or four pitches in January, which are massive games. We've got Palace on the 1st of February. Even the delay the delay in the January um, transfer window or the transfer budget and the fact that it might be, not be very big is far more damaging, I'd say, than any uncertainty. Yeah, uh, that's going to impact on his ability to prepare for football matches. The fact that he's probably having to do three or four times the amount of work for a transfer window because he's got to... Yeah, he's got so, to, such a productive targets. Yeah, he's got to go over so many targets and so many different possibilities as to what, who's in charge, what's the money, etc. Are we going to be able to sell people? It uh, must be impacting on his ability to. He's, he's only one man. He's only got twenty four hours in his day, and he's probably using them all. And it's it's going to impact on his ability to to win to to win his points. I I mean the 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 thing is with Rafa as well. I mean he got he, he you know he, I suppose he learned his lesson in the summer in how uh, you know and how Mike Ashley operates. You've got. You've got this blue Rafa Benitez, meticulous manager, setting up these deals at the start of the summer, telling these players that he wants them, convince them to come to the club, and then all of a sudden having like the, the rug pulled from under him. So in any kind of normal situation, you know, with a with a chairman who who or an owner who is, let's say, you know, inverted commas, saying normal, um, Benitez would be working he'd be working on the deals new, but he he can't. He can't he can't work on any deals now because he's got absolutely no idea where um whether or not they'll come off and what what he's got. And like you say, are we going to end up signing players towards the end of January when they've missed a few games? Um, are they going to be his third and fourth choices? Um, it's just incredibly frustrating and it just makes me, you know, think more and more. Mike Ashley, please just fuck off out of our club. Um, but there you go, and that's that's a little bit of anger coming through, and I'll try and keep I'll try and keep a lid on it. Um, uh, I don't know if you two lads have got any more you'd like to say about the, the game yesterday, because I'm I'm pretty much done on that side of things. Summed up where you started, which was it was it was a much much more positive positive performance. It was back to basics, as you say. It's uh, especially the second half. If we can play like that against West Ham, we'll match them again three 0 Well, this will this will going to ask you. I'll ask you, Alex. Yeah, um, well, obviously, you know the West Ham game is, is huge. We know that, but if you're in the bottom three, then every game's huge. Um, so, in terms of what what's needed to get something from it, and, and not only from this game, but like just just beyond. I mean, we know we need to make signings. You know, we know it's going to be a tough season. We know there's all the uncertainty to take over, but based on what we have right now, what um, what would you what do you think that we need to start doing or we need to see happen? Well, we're entering one of the most important runs of games in the in the modern history of Newcastle United, and you know what? Easy to say that you can say that the last relegation campaign, you can say that the year before when we beat West Ham on the final day, you can say it last season, but this this is it because. Should the club continue to fall and the team continue to fall lower and lower down the Premier League table? I mean, unlikely, by the way, but if West Brom win this afternoon, your time, and uh, Everton lose at home to Swansea, unlikely, but, you know, they were Everton are shite, uh, as we saw on Wednesday. Um, we'll be bottom of the league. So it's possible that we're going to end this weekend of round of fixes, bottom of the league. And I just think it's just going to take such an effort from everybody and... Um, it's easy for me to say on the podcast, and we've said it before, and I'm, you know, eight hours ahead of you, and however many thousand miles away here in you know in Perth, Australia. But I don't think that stadium against Everton was doing everything it possibly could to support that team. I don't think the team was doing everything it possibly could to get the points with the errors and the lack of blah blah blah. You, you know, you did the post Everton podcast; it was very good, Bolland. And um, I just think there's to get out of this mess. Takeover or otherwise, and that's that's me talking very short term. It's takeover otherwise. It's going to take um, a collective mental strength from supporters and players that we haven't seen so far this season. And but it is there. 
it is there. We saw it. We saw it the last time we were relegated when we put a, a five-game unbeaten run together at the end of the season and took ten points when everyone had written them off. Um, you saw it, you know, last season when a section of the fan base or sections of the were saying we fucked a promotion when we pissed promotion. Um, you know, you saw it last season when we won at Brighton Huddersfield. It's it's going to take that kind of level-headed, level-headed coolness from us all to be so crystal clear about what's required, starting at West Ham. Newcastle fans this, this week before West Ham need to be getting in the mood, even though there's only going to be 3,000 there in the stadium. And you know what, Norman? I, sin- I sincerely hope it's not flat there. Because that West Ham crowd will turn on their players. And that West Ham team know how to bottle it. And, you know, it's, it's great beating Chelsea and, and drawing with Arsenal with, you know, 20% possession is great. They're going to be expected to bring the game to us. And it's a new challenge for them. And we need to be, as a fan base, as a football club, we need to be ready for this game and, and treat this game not just as another game. This is a fucking huge game. And like I alluded to earlier in the programme, too long in the past, even in games that affected relegation and promotion, Newcastle United have lost too many big games or failed to win too many big games. And You know what we did at Preston last season was a big game at home. I know it's Preston, I know it's Simon Grayson, and I know we won 4-1 on telly. But that was a big game. And, and I think I said in the podcast before then, Newcastle, in our lifetime, failed to win the big games. And this, this one, this side, is the first of the big games. Man City's a massive game. You know why Man City's a massive game? Because the likelihood is we could be in the relegation zone. And like you correctly said, Norman, every game in the relegation zone is a massive game and every point is thoroughly important. So let's, let's you know, social media, we'll get out. You know, we do 10 podcasts on the relevance of social media in terms of, the, of how the support's feeling. But let's get in the mindset now. Between what is it? Now, what is it? Today it's like the sixteenth of December or something. Between now and January the first against Stoke, I want to see Newcastle United outside the relegation zone. Is it possible? Yes. Is it probable? At the moment, I don't know. But but the the the, the players and the, and the fans need to realise that. And need to think. You know what? If we can if we can start in January when allegedly we're going to be able to prove the squad somewhat, and fingers crossed with a takeover happen, if we can start that ahead of the game outside the relegation zone then then I'd be supremely confident of staying in this league and, and if we are going to be taking over staying in this league is bigger than it's ever been before what Ashley's doing right now and I'm talking right now whatever time you listen to this whether it be Sunday, Monday, Tuesday whatever Ashley is doing right now right this second is more corrosive and more damaging in Newcastle United than anything he's done before and he's done some bad stuff by standing in the way of this takeover Agreed, agreed. I mean, the game, even since our, the first relegation that we suffered under Ashley, the amount of money in the game has gone up again exponentially. And this is this season is, I mean, it's fucking huge in terms of our Newcastle United Football Club. And um, I think staying up is, is of paramount importance. Um, and do I believe we're going to do it? I, I do. Yeah, I mean, you have to for a start. Otherwise, you know, you just you would just give up. But I'm still confident that we've got we've got enough there, and we've got enough talent in the managerial staff to to do that. And and hopefully the, the first positive steps will start against um, West Ham uh, next Saturday. I'll I'll be there and I'll be um, you know screaming my lungs out uh, with encouragement as much as I can. So I guess um, I guess that's it, really, lads. Unless you have anything to add just before we before we say bye to everyone. Thanks so much to everyone who's been leaving the five star reviews on iTunes. There's loads of people have done it. So it really helps us get the podcast uh, message out there. And give a follow at TFUDPod on Twitter. Find one Facebook at the same thing. Uh, thanks to everyone who listens to the show. We've been getting loads of messages here in Australia from Australian. Um, Marcus wanting to meet up, which is great. And uh, we'll also met some nice lads in Singapore as well. 
um, to a massive mark. So yeah, basically, thanks everyone who listens to the show. I'm sure everything will be fine this season and we'll beat West Ham next week. Norman, I'm looking forward to listening to your preview through the week. I will be doing a preview, yes, I reckon uh, that'll probably be on Wednesday or Thursday. Um, get the preview out and then after that there'll obviously be a um, review of the, of the victory against West Ham. So uh, thanks very much, everyone. <laughs> Cheers. 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 Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.